0: Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm a clinical psychologist and work with children, teenagers and their families, particularly in the areas of resilience, learning strengths and well-being. I'm also the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking with people who are experts in their area in terms of mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of the Generation Next podcast group. Thank you. Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm the chairperson of Generation Next, and I'm delighted in this series of podcasts to speak to eminent people from around the world in relation to their areas of expertise that in terms of child well-being, mental health, brains, learning, and just general health. And today, I'm delighted to speak with Dr Chris Weber from Southport, child psychiatrist, author of children's book, and uh, thoughtful person around the topic of ADHD. So, Chris, it's great to be with you. Thank you for being with me. Oh, My pleasure, Andrew. Now, I would say that of all of the areas of childhood issues or disorders or whatever you want to call them, none invite amateur diagnosticians in quite the same way as ADHD. Is that something you've noticed?
1: Very much so. Andrew, you, you hit the nail on the head there because people are very polarised about a diagnosis of ADHD. Some people believe it doesn't exist. Some people are very against using medicines to treat it. Um, and there's a lot of dialogue and, and information out there, some of it misinformation about ADHD. And I, it really gets people sort of riled up. And I think it's important that there's sort of a dialogue or discussion about ADHD so that people can have well, the facts and make decisions based on facts rather than misinformation or emotional responses.
0: So one of the things I've heard, Chris, and maybe you can correct it if I'm wrong, is that our, our jails are filled with people with untreated ADHD. And so the impact of not treating ADHD is enormous. Is that so?
1: It is, it is. It was interesting that last year there was um, a lot of research about um, the actual financial impact on the Australian economy of ADHD and it was estimated that the the costs of treated and untreated ADHD was about $20 billion dollars. Um, and included that was looking at the number of people who ended up in jail or in the forensic system with other problems such as drug and alcohol misuse. So there's a flow-on effect from not treating ADHD, which has many ramifications in sort of adolescent and adult life. And so the population in jails, it varies, but the statistics are at least 30% of people in jails have ADHD and the problem is they often don't get good treatment in jail uh, because the use of uh, medications or other treatments is often frowned upon in this population. The views are changing but certainly you know that point you made of not treating ADHD has got um, quite a lot of ramifications as well so we need to be balanced in terms of looking at treatments that are sort of indicated and what not treating may end up looking like. So
0: before we talk about, I mean, there's a cluster of behaviours that often occur around ADHD, but let's just go to pure, simple, straightforward ADHD. How do you make a real diagnosis of it rather than, a, you know, an amateur one?
1: Well, I think, you know, you've got sort of um, a list of symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity. And basically, you need to look very carefully at how many of those criteria um, a child will meet. And then you've got a list of inattention symptoms as well. And basically, that's the core uh, lack of being able to focus and a lack of being able to have um, appropriate impulse control and often hyperactivity. Now, the issue is that it's a a spectrum. Um, Some people are fairly calm and other people are quite excitable and you know that's the tapestry of life but the the way to look at it is you need that information from a parent as to how the child has been over their sort of lifespan um, and look at their school sort of reports or reports from the school and also get, get sort of some evaluation as to whether there's anything else that could be causing the problems of ADHD-like symptoms. And that's a fairly complicated and sophisticated thing that we need to do. And therefore, um, child psychiatrists and paediatricians have got training to look at that carefully. And there are also some rating scales that, that are available that we may use. And it's combining that information to see whether someone meets the threshold and whether it's causing that child some distress um, or disability, um, or the family some distress and disability, because often the impact on families is underestimated. Mm. Um, On the other hand, it has to be developmentally sort of looked at, you know, a five-year-old will be able to do certain things, um, but not be able to do certain things a 10-year-old will be able to do. So you have to take that developmental context in um, sort of consideration as well. So it's it's looking at all those different issues. Um, and if someone does have hyperactivity symptoms and difficulties with paying attention and is causing distress and disability at home and at school or outside and socially, um, then you can make a diagnosis of ADHD. And it can be purely hyperactive, can be purely inattentive, but more often it's a combination of the both of them which will be um, the most likely.
0: Now, as a child psychiatrist, I suspect that very rarely does pure ADHD or ADD come through the door. Usually you've got a few other things going on alongside it or a few things to rule out as well. Can you just tell us a bit about that?
1: Okay. The first thing, the things that sort of commonly come along for the ride with ADHD. Um, Kids with ADHD often have got other sort of neurodevelopmental issues, such as learning problems. At least 30% of kids with ADHD will have some difficulties with reading, um, dyslexia, things like that. And they're they're commonly associated. Um, A lot of kids with ADHD will have behavioural problems such as oppositional behaviours or sometimes even going into conduct disorder if it goes on long enough. Um, But also commonly sometimes have anxiety and uh, depression. And the anxiety and depression is often secondary to the ADHD because they're they're always not doing things right, getting into trouble, um, being socially isolated because other kids don't want to play with them. And if you constantly get chided for not being sort of um, good in class or good to your fellow peers, always in trouble, eventually that sort of will have an impact on your self-esteem and can lead to anxiety and depression symptoms as well.
0: And also probably a sense that you can't really be a success in school.
1: Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Now. You know, in a recent article I, I wrote, I looked at that issue of sort of comorbidity. What else do ADHD children have? And it's about 80% of ADHD children have something extra, not just straightforward ADHD. But when sometimes you, you treat the ADHD, a lot of those other problems get better. But the learning difficulties often will need very specific interventions to try and help kids learn. Just treating the ADHD won't help that.
0: Actually, just out of interest, I mean, quite often with kids with learning problems, I see, you know, poor coordination, physical movements are sometimes a bit stilted. And uh, that's a, a pretty strong relationship in my observations. I don't know with ADHD kids whether that's the same, is it?
1: It, it varies. Some, some kids who have ADHD um, have other neurodevelopmental problems and are clumsy, uh, but some kids with ADHD are freaks at sport. <laughs> and, it's... you know, it's, it's hard to generalise. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of very successful sports people, many of them actually haven't got ADHD, oh, and they just... become hyper-focused on their sport, which and then are very successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how can we help these kids?
1: Well, I think, I think the main thing is, um, is to recognise ADHD in a child. And that can be a lifesaver if it's done reasonably early because that will stop a spiral of labelling the, the child as a naughty kid or as a bad kid um, and uh, will often decrease some of the secondary problems later on Um, and so if you suspect a child has got adhd sort of early referral to a child psychiatrist pediatrician or even a psychologist to screen them would be a a very useful step and once you have a diagnosis then you may then consider well what are the options for treatment
0: how young do you reckon you can get a grip on whether a kid's got ADHD or ADD?
1: Depends on severity, Andrew. Like there's most people would say once a, a child has to sit still in a school environment is a time that you can start to recognise ADHD. So school entry is often a period where these kids get recognised because they can't ah. sit still. They don't learn. Yeah. Um, they cause lots of disruption. But I do have some parents where there is a strong family history, and ADHD is fairly genetic, of a three or a four-year-old coming into my office and uh, the parents describing chaotic home lives, um, daycare lives, and you see these kids and they tear your office apart, and there's no other reason for their behavior. And you think it's fairly likely they have got ADHD as well. The dilemma in that group is what do you do because often parents have done everything um, and uh, they're the group that you're least likely to want to prescribe medication to because of their age. So they're the sort of issues. And to answer your question in in summary, it's usually school age for most, but there are some kids that you'll say you'll pick it up earlier because of the severity of the symptoms.
0: Sorry, and back back to how you can help. Thank you.
1: Yes, well, there's lots of things that, uh, that parents and schools can do to, to, to help kids with ADHD. I think you have to teach parents some very sort of basic management strategies for ADHD kids. And when you think about it, these children can't focus for long. They get easily distracted. So what you need to implement is a structured environment which repeats things in a very familiar way so they learn habits of doing things so that things are done in certain order and routine and we know that habits in our brain um, are learned differently and sometimes you can just do things because of a habit rather than have to think about it all the time so training the parent to have the same routines And to have things such as visual charts in the house of things that need to be done before school, things that have to be done after school, and maintaining that sort of routine is really helpful. Um, The other thing is that you need to get the parents to be able to talk in a way that the child will understand the instruction. And the key with this, with parents talking to children, is use their name to get their attention, Get eye contact, give them an instruction. And then if you don't think that they've actually heard you, ask them to repeat it back. Then they do that task and then you give them the next next task. If you give them too many instructions, they'll lose track of what they're doing. So it's, it's clear, unambiguous communication in short chunks, making sure you've got the child's attention. And that's really very important to get um, the cycle of parents are getting annoyed with the children for not doing the right thing um, to break that cycle. Other things is uh, kids with ADHD are often messy and disorganised. So having structures at home, like a routine of where things should be, keeping their um, room uncluttered, And also having somewhere where they go if they have to do homework, somewhere quiet, somewhere with no distractions so that they can sit and do their work and expect them to have shorter attention spans. So give them breaks um, and then get back to work. Lots of positive reinforcement. And the other thing about these kids is, is teaching them the skills to be able to wait for things because they're very, very impulsive. So getting them to be able to wait five minutes before doing something and rewarding that behavior and also learning the language of self-talk about if they're going to do something to be able to talk to themselves about the steps and the routine. Um, And if they are very young, sometimes even to speak out loud so that they're actually cognitively rehearsing what they need to do. All those things a parent can can learn in some parent management uh, sessions with a psychologist or various other professional people like ADHD coaches, and they're really important in setting a structure at home, which is not a parent saying something, the kid not listening because they're paying attention to something else, and the parent getting mad, then the child becoming upset or oppositional. And that we have to break that cycle at home so that the parent understand the child can't do things beyond their capacity to break things down. I often uh, describe it like, you know, you wouldn't um, ask a three-year-old or four-year-old child to get something off the top shelf in the kitchen because they can't reach. You wouldn't do it. And... Sometimes the same thing because ADHD is hidden, you can't see it. It's the same thing if you give three or four instructions to a young kid with ADHD, they will not be able to process it and they will not be able to follow through. So you just have to understand it's that limitation that we have to work around and get systems to support them. Um, I call it like externalizing your frontal lobes. Our frontal lobes are our organizers And if they're a bit not working as well as they should, we have to get the environment to do that work for us. And there's a lot of stuff we can do with that. So that's what parents can do. Um, Schools, well, I think schools should know what to do, but often they sometimes don't implement it. But the same thing, you, you have to have things very structured. The child with ADHD often sits at the back of the class. There's a lot of distraction between them and the front of the class. We ask teachers to sit them close to the front, usually at the side, so they can prompt them, um, give them one task at a time, break up tasks into short chunks, reward them for completing the behaviour, have movement breaks, um, and then go back to, to the work that they have to do. And also look at any learning issues and whether they need extra help with the learning that they're they're doing. And again, lots of positive reinforcement for doing the the right thing, because we all know that the the positive reward is much better than aversive sort of um, conditioning. So praise the, the good stuff. Okay, point out the bad stuff and reorientate them to do the good stuff. So teachers should be doing that. It's it's hard, I I understand, because teachers have got 30 kids in a class, uh, but certainly the ADHD kids, if they don't manage them well, they can cause lots of difficulties in the classroom.
0: Is there anything more the young person themselves can do?
1: Yeah, yeah. The young person can sort of try and take ownership of it um, and realise that they sometimes need to to use the strategies such as... um, common one is uh, the three sort of traffic light signals red amber and green where you'll have to stop and perhaps imagine a red light in your head the amber light is think and then do yeah so it's having breaking that up and just having that momentary pause stop think and do and commonly what ADHD kids do is they do they do it and then they think, why did I do that? That was dumb. And they, then they will sometimes lie to try and make up for their mistake because they realise they've done something wrong. And so it's a bit of a cycle that, that we need to break as well in terms of saying, you know, stop, think and do. And if you do the wrong thing, take the, take the consequence or take responsibility and do it better next time. So that's the sort of, uh, that's what a child can do. The other thing is, is that that verbal self-instruction. Okay, now I need to do this, and after that, I need to do that, and after that, I should do this. So getting them to sort of go through the steps in their head. And that's really important because that's how you learn. If you think about what you're doing, that's how you learn. If you're told all the time what to do, it doesn't change behaviour as well. So with ADHD kids, having that internal dialogue or even out, of, out loud dialogue is a good way of getting them to, to take ownership of their ADHD.
0: One of the delightful kids I work with told me his ADHD was like a superpower. He could focus on what he was passionate about and just yeah, everything else can just be neglected. It's fine. <laughs> what do you think? Is it a, is it a superpower?
1: Can be a superpower, you know. You know, I sometimes talk to the kids with ADHD and say a lot of life's really successful people had ADHD as a kid. Mm. What they've been able to do is focus on something they're really good at um, and channel that energy into something really useful. And we look at some of the great entrepreneurs around, and clearly many of them had ADHD as, as, as children. Um, And the superpower of ADHD is that they can be hyper-focused on something that interests them and uh, uh, be totally disinterested in anything else that is boring. Um, And that's one of the the issues that brings up is that parents will say, my kid hasn't got ADHD because they can play a video game for six hours. Mm. That's an indicator they probably have got ADHD. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: because it's a a very you know intense absorbing interest and you will be able to focus on that but get them to do maths or a little bit of poetry it's another story and so and that's a, a rookie mistake a lot of clinicians who don't see kids with ADHD will say as well like i've had trainees work with me and say chris uh, i don't think that kid has got ADHD because they were able to interact well and and talk to me for the 10 or 15 minutes that we had a chat, and I go, you're a novel and exciting new stimulus. They can pay attention for that, but that doesn't exclude ADHD. You need to see what they're like in a classroom, in various other boring settings, um, and that doesn't exclude it. So, you know, they're the common things, you know, hyper-focus on things that interest them, and the fact they can hold it together for short times in clinical interviews, which some people will say excludes ADHD, but it doesn't.
0: Let's talk about medication and maybe, I don't know, if there are other supplements that actually help in the functioning of people with ADHD.
1: Okay, well, let's take that second question first, the supplements. There's a lot of interest in sort of diets and supplements for ADHD, and also a lot of interest in sort of alternative treatments, you know, um, for ADHD. Now, if a if a parent comes to me and says, when my kid has chocolate or orange food colouring, like in twisties or some other thing, they go bonkers. I'll believe them and say, yep, probably true. You should try and keep them away from chocolate, twisties or maybe caffeinated products. Um, and I, I will take that at face value because that's That's what a parent experiences. And so that's something we need to sort of understand. The evidence for special diets for ADHD is not great. You know, excluding things that will rev them up, like those sorts of things I mentioned, fine. But putting kids on a strict diet, um, excluding lots of other things, will bring up a lot of resentment in the child. And maybe increase their oppositional behaviors. And without a lot of evidence to support it, I think it's not a, a great thing to do. You know, I'm, I'm all for healthy diets, organic foods, the healthier the better. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm not saying we need to go down that road completely, and kids need treats and birthday parties and occasional trips to their favorite sort of past um, food outlet. Um, just to make them feel part of being a kid. Um, Supplements is again, a little bit more sort of controversial. There was a lot of talk about sort of fish oils and and fatty acids. The evidence evidence of that is only very small. And uh, I don't think it's sort of on a magnitude where it should really support using large amounts of fatty sort of fish oils. Fish oils generally are thought to be quite healthy, so I've not got no problem with them. But there is one thing with fish oils is that they do interfere with the absorption of one of the medicines that we, we give, Concerta, which is a slow-release Ritalin. It, it actually clogs up the holes in the Ritalin tablet. So if you take fish oils as well as Concerta, which is one of the medicines we use for ADHD, make sure you take them at, at different times of the day, the Concerta and the morning and the fish oil at night. Yeah. So, and the other things are uh, all the alternative treatments. I, I, when, when parents say, oh, this is really helping, this, is, uh, this has been helpful, I will say, look, we can continue with that. But the evidence is still not out there for a lot of the other treatments. But I will say, you know, support that as long as it doesn't interfere with what, what we're doing. Um, And with with the question of the medicines, medicines are used if parent training, school support and counselling don't have sufficient impact to decrease the disability and distress, then you'll trial medication. And I have to say that that in my office, there's often a big time label delay because of the issue about um, the stimulant medications in children. And sometimes parents will go around a circuit of lots of different treatments for a year, sometimes two years before they end up in my office. And then after a short period of treatment, they sort of feel a bit guilty because sometimes the improvements are quite marked in a very short time. They, they sort of say, we should have come here two years ago rather than done the circuit of a lot of alternative treatments or other things. Now, the medicines that we use for stimulants have been around a long time. Dexamphetamine and Ritalin have been around. As I said before, um, Ritalin is is as old as me, 63 years. 1957, it was sort of um, produced. Now, the chemical name for Ritalin, Ritalin is methylphenidate and dexamphetamine is just dexamphetamine. And they're the two common medicines that we'll use, and they're the first up medicines. Now, nothing polarizes um, a lot of people as the use of stimulants in ADHD. But I have to say that of all the kids that I've treated, 99% of parents would be very, very positive about it. There's 1% where you've had some side effects, which all medicines can sometimes do, but they're predictable with the stimulants um, so that people change their mind fairly quickly in terms of the outcomes for kids. Now, how do these medicines work? Well, all they do is is support, focus and concentration through uh, making two chemicals in our brain a little bit more available um, in between our our nerve cells and their dopamine and uh, noradrenaline. And both dexamphetamine and Ritalin increase the amount of dopamine and and noradrenaline in our synapses, that little space between our our brain cells and help them talk better to each other. That's all they do. Um, And in regard to which medicines I use, I usually use Ritalin for younger kids because the evidence shows that that's has less side effects for young kids. And for older teenagers and adults, I will use dexamphetamine. And that's really the protocol that most people would would follow. And the issue is that if these medicines work, they work straight away. And that's really something unusual in psychiatry. Usually most of the medicines we use take weeks or sometimes months to have an impact. But with the stimulants, you'll get an immediate improvement within the first few days. And then it's just a matter of um, getting the dose right. And nowadays there are long acting forms of both the Ritalin and the dexamphetamine, which makes it much easier for the child just to have one dose in the morning and they don't need to go to the office at school, which can be a bit embarrassing for some kids. But I have to say that most schools would have quite a few people going to the office to have their mid-morning stimulant medication. So what happens when you take it? You learn better, you get into less trouble, and the the results are really easy to measure objectively. Um, Less timeouts, suspensions better grades at school. It's very measurable in terms of what the outcomes would be. And if you're not getting those things, then you will question the diagnosis. The other thing is that the side effects are very predictable. Now, all stimulants have um, the side effect or adverse effect of decreasing weight by sometimes the appetite being suppressed. So the appetite suppression is something you need to get on top of in terms of big breakfasts, small morning tea, small lunch, big afternoon tea and dinner to try and make sure the calories stay up. And that's why as as child psychiatrists and pediatricians, we weigh our children um, every six months to make sure their weight doesn't decrease, that it's going up. Um, And there is a little bit of talk about whether it, it slows growth. Um, it seems that the the growth sort of issue is related to intake of food mainly. So if you feed a child enough calories, they will usually grow in a a reasonable fashion, which you would predict. The other thing is that uh, these medicines will sometimes make it a bit harder for a child to sleep. So you always give the stimulant early in the day and don't sort of top up unless you have to. Um, later on the day um, and if you do that well then sleep is usually something that is usually not too badly affected and if it is sometimes you will add on a little bit of melatonin which is being used more and more for children with sleep disturbance um, and in terms of treatment with these medicines you know as I said before the um, side effects are predictable. There's sort of very few surprises. Um, These are the best researched sort of medications in children. I think there's been more studies on Ritalin than any other uh, medicine that we use in in children. So we know what it does and we know what the side effects are. Um, And we will explain them at the beginning of treatment and if anything comes up, I usually encourage my patients to call me And say, this is going on, is this due to to the medication? Now, there's some kids who can't take a stimulant because they just lose their appetite completely and they lose weight. And then we have to think of alternatives. Occasionally, some kids will develop a tick um, if they're usually predisposed to having a tick, or they may also um, get more anxious or their mood drops. Um, And there are possible side effects of stimulants. And then sometimes we have to think about other treatments. Now, there's really not very many. There is a drug called atomoxetine or a medication called atomoxetine, which is commonly referred to as Stratera. And that was really our main go-to alternative until recently when there was a a new medication which was a long-acting guanfacine, which is called Intuniv. And they're the sort of the second line treatments um, for ADHD if a person can't tolerate a a stimulant. Intuniv has got the advantage that you can add it onto a stimulant. Um, And sometimes that's uh, that's something we do for kids who can't tolerate high doses of stimulants, but need more 24-hour cover Um, So they're the sort of medication options that we've got. Um, And within sort of those options, we can treat sort of 99% of kids with ADHD. So, you know, the the medicines work. They've got a bad public image, which I think is sort of undeserved. Um, And I think that uh, children with ADHD should be assessed to see whether they should have a trial of medication if the symptoms are severe enough because it can make a big change in terms of their trajectory.
0: Thanks Chris are there any resources you'd direct people towards who want to know more about this issue?
1: Yeah look I think there's a a very good government website which is called um, the Raising Children Network that's got uh, lots of information about ADHD there's also um, ADHD Australia which is on which has got a website with lots of useful information um, there's also an American website with lots of things on it called Chad CHAad uh, which has got lots of information sort of on that and there's also a professional organization Australia which I'm a member of the Australian um, ADHD professional Association which the initials are a A. DPA, and that's got resources. Even if you're not a member, you can have a look at uh, webinars and information on that on that as well. So they're the sort of resources that parents can go to, um, and all of those sites will have reading material for parents um, as well as re- as reading material for children. Now, I did write a book called Full of Beans. I thought that the, the actual kids' market was a bit spare, sparse. Um, and I wrote that with a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist, but also a cartoonist. And it's just a, a cartoon book about ADHD, pointing out the positive aspects of it, but also the sort of the difficulties a child may have and going through the process of what they may experience how they might get help, how the family might get help, a little bit about medicine and how that all comes together to hopefully lead to a more sort of successful trajectory and helping a child to thrive. So they're the sort of things that a a parent may sort of uh, look at. There's a wealth of information. And I think one of the, the things that I always warn parents about is that there's a lot of scams going out as well you know, promising that with certain techniques, ADHD will be cured. I don't know any sort of new treatments that have had much success uh, balancing exercises, certain uh, various other sort of um, physical therapies. Um, the outcomes of those are a little bit dodgy. So I would always be wary of parents going into something which is sort of not validated by health professionals so and people are often desperate and will try lots of different things so i think you just have to be cautious and not invest lots of money in the things that probably don't work
0: dr chris weaver author of full of beans which is i think a great title i love it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time and and for that really you know beautiful summary of all of the the knowledge around this area. I really appreciate your your input today. So, and I will just want to honor your work. I mean, I think it's a, a fantastically important area to do. So thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people. And also in my own book, Tricky Behaviors and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much and uh, hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you.